opposite Galilee. And when he stepped on the land, there met him a certain man from the city who had demons for a long time. And he wore no clothes, nor did he have in his, nor did he live in a house, but in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man, for it had been for it had often seized him, and he was kept under guard, bound with chains and shackles, and he broke the bonds and was driven by the demon into the wilderness. Jesus asked him, saying, What is your name? And he said, Legion, because many demons had entered him. Verse thirty one. And they begged him that he would not command them to go out into the abyss. Now a herd of many swine was feeding there on the mountain, and they begged him that he would permit them to enter them, and he permitted them. Then the demons went out of the man and entered the swine, and the herd ran violently down the steep place into the lake and drowned. When those who fed them saw what had happened, they fled and told it to the, in the city and in the country. Then they went out to see what had happened and came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had departed, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. What a great testimony. Amen? Stay with me here. And they were afraid. They also, who had seen it, told them by, the, by what means he, he who had been demonized was healed. Then the whole multitude of the surrounding region of the Gadareans asked him, to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear, and he got into the boat and returned. Now the man from whom the demons had departed begged him that he might be with him, but Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your own house and tell what great things God has done for you. And he went his way and proclaimed throughout the whole city what great things God has done. So it was when Jesus returned that the multitude welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. Father, I thank you in these next few moments that we have, Lord, that you will open our eyes and our hearts to see and to hear and our ears to hear something, Father, that we have not seen before from your word, a truth of how dearly you desire our lives to be lives of significance, to make an impact for the glory of your kingdom in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. So I want you to keep this account in mind of what Jesus did, but not so much in the deliverance of the man, but the significance that came through this life, this man's life, the impact of significance that this man who nobody would have given credit to, nobody would have seen potential in, nobody would have thought that that would be a person that God would use in a mighty way to impact a whole region, but his testimony is that he was a man who lived a life of significance because of the touch of God upon his life. Look at the cover of your outline if you would. What if there was a way for you to do more with your life? What if you found out you actually have enough in your hand right now to live a life of significance? How many know that many times we don't think we can make an impact because we don't have enough? Amen. So just keep this man in mind with that thought. What if there was a fail-proof way to secure your life, your money, and your time from the devil and his devices to destroy them? The only way to devil-proof your life is to live for something greater than yourself. Amen. And to keep your focus on someone other than yourself. Every temptation the devil brings is connected to you thinking about you. It began in the garden. 
the temptation of the devil in the garden. Look at the tree. It's good for you to eat. It'll make you wise. You will be like God. They got their attention on themselves, and they succumbed to his temptation. The devil is the master of confinement and restrictions in our lives. He knows full well that God has purpose for every life. That purpose is connected to destroying his influence and reign in the earth because Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil, to set captives free, and to release us to our purpose and potential in him. How many would agree? Amen. Amen. So what if we became willing to start a new trend? Jesus never waited for all the conditions to be right, he moved. And as you read history, if you read a great men and women, nobody ever waited for all the conditions to be right. They chose to move and to believe God would move with them. He went first, and that's what happened. God is waiting for us to move, and we are waiting for him to move. No Gideon Bibles would have ever been distributed if somebody waited for God to move first. Amen. Man had an idea. They believed, hey, we could, we, we could print Bibles and we could take them to the world. And you find out that once you begin to move for God, God begins opening doors, like Lauren said, amazing opportunities before us when we begin to move. Because in the school of divine guidance, there are two separate thoughts. The first thought is where most people are. As soon as God moves or gives me direction, I will move. As soon as God shows it, lays out the plan before me, gives me exactly what I'm supposed to do, then I will go. But that isn't the way it works. The other school of thought says as soon as you move, God will give you direction. And that's the way it works. Once you say, God, I believe you created my life to have significance, to have meaning, to have purpose. I'm going to start moving and allow you to direct me. You can go out this, mo this morning after service. You can get in your car and you can grab hold of your steering wheel and you can wiggle it back and forth. But until that car is moving, you're not giving any direction. You can't provide direction to something that is standing still. It is useless. You put a missile with a guidance system that can go all the way to the moon and land and come back. It has a specific guidance system, but the guidance system is never put into play. It's never act activated until the missile is launched. The guidance system doesn't do any good until there is movement. God's guidance, the guidance of the Holy Spirit, until we're agreeing and we start moving in direction for God in our life, there's no need for Him to give us any guidance. I'm going to wait for those this morning. <laughs> Hallelujah. So think about it. We have no need for direction until we're moving. The question we need to ask ourselves is, what is in your hand now? Even at the point of giving, you say, well, wait a minute, I, I, can't buy, I can't pay $125 for a box of Bible, but I could give $1.25. I could give up a $5.65 Starbucks. Amen. I, I, I could give up something. There's something that I could set aside in your red cup that you've been griping about all week, glory <laughs> to God. Get a stinking life. Hallelujah. So what is in your hand now? What do you have? You start by asking, what is the need that is in front of you? We say, well, I just don't know what God wants me to do for my life. Go in and teach a child. Show up and minister to the homeless. Do what's in front of you to do. Don't wait for the spectacular. The spectacular comes as you're doing and ministering to the need right in front of you. So what about, I believe it's time for us to be free and in our right minds. How many would agree? I believe we, that, that needs to be the term for us in this election season. Time for us to be free and have some politicians in their right minds. Amen? 
Jesus comes to meet us where we are. He breaks the yoke of bondage off of our lives, and then he sends us out to fill our God-ordained purpose. The man in the tombs was in a place of restriction. His life was out of his control. Too many live there today. And it's too easy for us today to excuse and overlook the controlling influence of the enemy that keeps us confined and living in the tombs of this world, believing what he knows is not true. How many know the definition of a liar is somebody who's looking you straight in the face, telling you something that they know is not true and wanting you to believe it? The devil is the father of all lies, and the lies he brings is to tell you what he knows himself is not true. And once you agree with that, it opens the door to that confinement in your life, and it keeps you locked up in the tombs of this world. The devil is the master marketer of deception, discouragement, disillusionment, and despair. He keeps people bound by their past. He keeps them lost in their present and cut off from their future. But Jesus comes to the place where we're being held in bondage. The day you got saved, Jesus meets you at your place of bondage and he sets you free and he allows you to be back and in control of your right mind he meets us at the point of our need he brings deliverance healing and restoration to our life he does a complete work that is evident and can be seen by others he delivers he heals he restores and he sends us with nothing more than what he has done for us. Too many today have the excuse, I don't know enough scripture. I don't know how to witness to anybody. I don't know what I would say. Just go tell somebody what great things God has done for you in your life. Did he save you? Well, then just tell them that. All I know that I was blind, but now I see. I was lost, but now I'm found. Just begin to tell somebody what great thing. This young man, just, just a few hours earlier, this was a demon-possessed man, out of control, naked. And his, just who he was caused everybody to be in fear. One encounter with Jesus brought this man into his right mind. And there he is clothed. And then he's so enthralled and, and, and so connected to the Lord. He says, Lord, I want to go with you. I want to be with you. Jesus said, you can't go with me. And that's what we as the church need to get out of today. We just want to spend so much time with Jesus, with Jesus, with Jesus. And we have a world that is going to hell around us because we just want to be with him, be with him, be with him. He says, hey, could I get you to move for a moment and go out from where you are and tell somebody what great things God has done in your life if we would do that we would become people of significance so that's my question for you this morning is it possible that a purpose can be that a person can be so transformed by the saving grace of God that he can have an influence on an entire region just like this man we read it the man said, Lord, I want to go with you. But Jesus said, return to your own house and tell what great things God has done for you. And he went his way and proclaimed throughout the whole city what great things God has done for him. So it was when Jesus returned that the multitude welcomed him and they were all waiting for him. If you go over to Mark chapter 6 and read the account, it says when Jesus came back to that region, the whole area, people came from everywhere and they brought the sick, they brought the lame, they brought the cripple, that they just might barely touch the hem of his garment, that they might be healed. One man's testimony after one encounter with God, with no training, none of what we think is so necessary today, people, he went out and just began began to brag on what God did in his life and a whole region was changed and he became a man of significance. 
He went from being the demon-possessed man in the tomb, a man that people were afraid of, that nobody knew how to, how to relate to or how to help or, or how, to, how to engage with in any way, to being a person who changed a whole region. I don't know about you, in my book, that's a life of significance. And that's what God does for us. So let me ask you this, what if? What if we lost the pride and the excuses and just came and fell at his feet and worshiped him? What if we no longer bought into the acceptable limitations that the devil has sown into the church? See, all of our excuses for not being people of significance are lies from the pit of hell. They're lies that the devil, well, you don't know. And the devil tells you lies to get you not to move. You don't have to know. What did this guy know? He didn't have a Bible. He hadn't been in seminary. He hadn't been through, who, who knows whether he had been taught anything. All he knew, he's like the man in John chapter 9, the man sitting blind by the roadside. The disciples walked by, see the man blind, said, Lord, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus said, neither, but that the works of God might be made manifest in him. Spits on the ground, makes mud, puts it in the guy's eye, and tells the guy, hey, Go wash. How many know if somebody put mud in your eyes, you would just take that, follow that instruction to go wash? He goes and washes. He comes back seeing them. People begin to examine him. How is it you were made, uh, uh, you were made whole? How, how, how were your eyes open? He goes, I don't have any idea. I was just sitting there. The man spit. He put mud in my eyes and told me to go wash. Well, could you explain that? No, it's just this. I was born blind. I know I was blind. All I know, mud in my eyes, wash, I see. Amen? And that's all he had. And then the next thing you know, he's brought before the religious leaders of his day. And then the next thing you know, as he's just stepping out and he's just telling what God had done for him, a new boldness rises up on the inside of him. He's preaching to them. And in just a few hours' time, he's literally kicked out of church. He's thrown out. You're a sinner. You're his disciple and all this stuff. And then Jesus finds him and reveals himself to him. And it's amazing, all these encounters we want with God, if we just choose to be people of significance and take what God has done for us and find that boldness in God, you don't have to be able to explain it. Your theology doesn't have to be any deeper than, I was naked, I was demon-possessed, I was bound, and Jesus came and he set me free, and now, amen, now, I'm healed and in my right mind. He could do the same thing for you. This Jesus could do the same thing for you. Hey, all I was know is I was blind, but now I see. All I was know, I was lost. I was a mess. I was destitute. My life was a failure and God saved me and he put my feet on a path of purpose that he had for my life. I had no idea where it would go, where it would lead. I just said, God, I'm going to follow you the rest of my life. And you begin to tell the great things God has done for you and your life becomes a life of significance for the glory of God. Amen. Hallelujah. Are you doing all right? Amen. So think about this this morning. What if we no longer believe those lies? What if we allowed Christ to so transform our lives that it became evident to those around us? What if we found the courage and the boldness to leave the tombs and began to tell others what Christ has done for us? What if we became tired of being bound by our past, lost in our present, and robbed of our future? What if? Think about it. The one who lifts the burdens and destroys the yoke is in the house today. Bill, would you come back, please? Our neighbors and our world are in desperate need of his love and helping hand. It's my belief as your pastor that the world needs God's love. How many would agree? 
How many know there are people in Paris right now that need God's love? Why is it important for you and I to be a person of significance? Why? In one moment's time, in one evening, in the span, from, from the time it started, from the first attack to the last attack, about 20 minutes in between of those coordinated attacks in Paris, over 100 people lost their lives. Right now they're saying about 118 people lost their lives. There are another over 300 that are in hospitals that were wounded by them. 900 of them are in critical condition which means another 900 could actually pass away and expire from being shot in that few moments, which means that that means that over 200 and some odd people, the worst attack since World War II on the shores of France. But that happened in a moment. Nobody going into any of those buildings, any of those events, nobody eating at dinner, nobody goes to dinner and sits down, hey, tonight might be the night I get shot by a drive-by shooting. The people in Jordan that were blown up in the bomb there, 200 people blown up by a suicide bomber in Jordan. None of them thought this might be the day that I will die. Years ago, people used to give preachers a hard time because we would give the altar call and we would say, hey, what if you died before this day is over? What if today when you walk out these doors, how do you know that tonight you will not be having an introduction to eternity with God? People say, well, you're preaching hellfire and brimstone. There might be somebody out of all those. I tell you right now, every one of those lives stepped into eternity at that moment. Whether they were saved or they weren't saved, it's over. The only place to accept Christ is right here. And you and I, if we don't live a life of significance, how many times daily we hear it in the news, almost every moment somebody transitions from this life into eternity. And if we buy the lies of the devil, how many people could have gone there with the hope of heaven and with the promise of eternal life in Christ if we would have chosen to get out of the tomb and break free from the lie and just be bold enough to tell somebody what great things God has done for us. Amen. It happens all the time. It's happened in your life. Too many times people that we know, suddenly their life is over. What do we do about that? We must purpose to be a people who will live a life of significance. They need someone to tell them. You were created to be significant, not to live in the tombs of this world, yoked with the bondage of the devil's lie. Jesus came and identified with our brokenness, our wounds, and our affliction, that he might heal and restore us to real life. We celebrated it in communion this morning. And then he sends us out to tell others what great things he has done for us. Think about the Apostle Paul. At the end of his life, he wrote, I have finished my course. And having said that, he handed the ministry over to Timothy and walked to the executioner's block and was thereby relieved of his duties. Yet the Apostle Paul's influence, because he chose to live a life of significance for God, when people came to him and said, Paul, if you go to Jerusalem, they're going to take the same way I've tied you up and I've illustrated this is what's going to happen to you. Agabus came and he took Paul's belt and he tied himself up and this said, this is what they will do in Jerusalem to you if you go there. Paul said, why are you breaking my heart? I know that bonds and affliction abide in me always. The Holy Spirit has always revealed to me that for me to preach the gospel, it will come as the scripture that Lauren put up there. It won't just be a accept it all the way. There, there, there'll be tribulation that comes with it. There'll be pressure that comes with it. But if I don't go, they won't hear. And the Apostle Paul penned some of his greatest letters. The things that we find our greatest hope in today that have had the impact upon our life were written from prison cells. Because he told, I will not be moved off of my core. I believe that God saved me for me to have a life of significance that brings glory to his name. 
In Ephesians, he penned this from the Message Bible. He says, He, God, had designs on us for glorious living. What kind of living is that? I believe it's living with impact. A life of significance. Not just making a living, but making a difference. Come on, we're so concerned about making a living. What if we decided to make a difference? I believe this. I'm kind of turned around upside down. I believe if I choose to make a difference, God will always make sure that I make a living. Because you can't make a living when you put Him first, when you honor Him. He will always make sure that you have the resources to do that. Hallelujah. Think about it. God's given you a gift. Believe it. Discover it. Develop it. Cherish it. Use it. But most of all, give it away. Because that's significant living. Too many people are still stuck in the place of waiting on God to move on their behalf. Praying, believing, and waiting. When the truth is, they are already fully equipped and supplied by God through the Holy Spirit to make a difference in their world right now. In Christ, you've been set free from sin and from being bound by your past, from being lost in your presence and robbed of your future. So our question is, how do we begin to move? How do we begin to move? It's so easy. Just find someone and tell them what great things God has done for you. This week, if you told somebody, what great things God has done for you. It could be at a supermarket. It could be on your job. It could be at school. It could be anywhere. It could be just in passing with someone. It's amazing how conversations come up. If you look for an opportunity for a conversation, you usually find one. I know if you walk around with your head down all the time avoiding people, you know what happens? You avoid people. And you miss opportunities. Amen. But if you lift your head up and you look with an attitude and an expectation, God, lead me to a conversation where I could tell somebody what great things you've done for me in my life. God will direct you. You'll find when you're moving like that, God's guidance will kick in on your behalf. He'll direct you to the person he wants you to talk to. And it's just as easy as that, telling him what God has done. In Luke 8, and verse 40, it says, He went his way and proclaimed through the whole city, what great things Jesus had done for him. Think about it. At the end of life, it's not what we bought that matters, but what we built. Not what we got, but what we shared. Not our competence, but our character. Not our success, but our significance. So live a life that matters. I want to encourage you at this season. Think about it. This season of the year. As we come into Thanksgiving, there are people that don't have homes. There are people that don't have families. It doesn't take much to invite somebody into your home. It doesn't take much to make your family larger by inviting one person in. To make a difference in somebody's life who wouldn't have anybody there. It doesn't take much to take time out of your time to have time for somebody else. Think about it. Live a life that matters. A life of significance and love. Love of God and love for man. Think about this. One man, after an encounter with God, with Christ, changed an entire region. What could you do? You chose to allow the Holy Spirit to lead you in a life of significance. I believe every... Come on. Look at one man, just in this first service, this small gathering this morning, Look at how much significance is in this building right here. This group right here could change our world. 
trying to remember who I first heard say it. Did you know that the Bible says that you're only three people? I'm, I'm, there, there's a, not the Bible, but there, there's a principle that you're only three people away from anybody in the world. Have you ever heard that, Lauren? That somebody you know knows somebody who knows everybody. You, it's like there, there's like a three-person connection that you could be connected to almost anybody in the world. It's amazing when you find out. How many remember on 9-11? A lot of people on 9-11 in, 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 in the Twin Tower, people found out that they, through just a few associations, knew somebody or they were related to somebody or knew somebody who was related to somebody who was lost their life in the Twin Tower. It doesn't take much. But that means that right here, through just us, and every time you touch somebody, you have no idea. The gospel is so powerful. Watch. Jesus said, he meets this man at the tombs, and here's a region that really wasn't open to receive him. But Jesus knew a whole region of significance was in that man's life. That man that nobody would give any credence to, any credit to, see any potential in, reached a whole region for the glory of God. John chapter 4, Jesus went to a well, ministered to a woman that was living in rejection and being despised by the people of her day. Jesus heals her and restores her. And then she goes to a city. And because of that one woman going to us, that one woman went back to the city and said, come and meet a man. A whole city came out. Jesus looked at a woman and didn't see a woman. He saw his potential in the woman and said, she is a life of significance. She's not a woman of failure. She is a life of significance. And when he saw her, he saw a city inside of her. When Jesus saw the man in the tombs, he says, that's not a demon-possessed man. That's a life of significance. When the Lord saw you, he always looks past your problems. He says, I can deal with those. I'm your answer to your problems. And if you'll let me heal your problems and your pain, I'll release you to the significance that I see on the inside of you. Bow your heads with me this morning. Father, I thank you today. Lord, I thank you that your plan for our lives is greater than we can even imagine. That we would be a people, each and every person in this building. God, you ordained that they would have a life of significance, impact for your kingdom. Father, whether it's partnering with a ministry that gives Bibles, whether it is ministering to a homeless person on a Thursday night that might get saved, that might have a whole region on the inside of them. Father, we never know the impact that will happen when we just reach out and tell one person what great things you have done for us. I'm just going to ask you this very simple altar call this morning. Come on, if you're willing to say, you know what, I'm going to break out of this tomb.